behind me up on the screen, um, you should see um, some, uh, some fruits coming up here. Excellent, wonderful. So um, before we moved house, uh, we, we had a garden where I like to grow things. Um, I, I don't see the point in growing anything you can't eat. Uh, so we grew lots of fruits. And uh, so you can see we've got some, we've got some tomatoes, we've got some, some courgettes, and we've got some pumpkins. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, David, aren't those vegetables? And I thought they were vegetables as well. But I looked this up. Apparently, they're all classed as fruits. I don't know why that is. You'd have to ask Google. But Google said it, so it must be true. So I believe it. But they're all, they're all fruits. Now, I want you to consider, consider this pumpkin here. This is my prized pumpkin. I was very proud of this pumpkin. That is my son Joshua holding it. He didn't hold it for very long because it was very heavy. Um, but he held the pumpkin. It was great. And I want you to consider for a second this prize pumpkin. How did it get so big and so fruitful? Well, a pumpkin, it grows on a vine. A vine gives it all the, the water and the nutrients that it needs. Now, if you see a fruit anywhere, somewhere there is there's a vine or there is a plant or there is a tree that has fed that fruit. And as we begin our series in Colossians, Paul, he's really thankful for something he sees in the life of the Colossians, the Colossi church. He's really thankful for some fruit that he can see in their life. Specifically, he says that he's thankful for their love, for their love for their fellow brother and sister in the church. And our reading, it draws specific attention to the source of that love. I wonder if you spotted that down in verse 5. Let's have a look if you've got the Bible open there. Did you see the source of the love? It was their hope. Paul says it's their hope. Hope produces fruit of love. Hope produces love like a vine produces fruit. And you might ask, well, what is this hope? What is the hope that Paul is talking about? Well, he's going to tell us that that hope is Jesus Christ himself. And this is going to be one of the big themes we're going to see as we go through the, the letter to the Colossians. Time and time again, we'll see the theme of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And time and time again, we'll see that Jesus is a hope above any other hope we could have in this world. Just have a glance over, over the reading we've just had and see how many times Jesus comes up. Just flick down there with me. How many times can you see Jesus Christ coming up time and time again in these verses? Verse 1. Paul, he says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's writing to faithful brothers in Christ. He talks of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, since we've heard of your faith in Christ, in verse 7, Paphras is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. And if you notice, in each of those instances, he doesn't actually need to mention Jesus. He can say, hey, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle, I'm an apostle. I'm writing to faithful brothers. I'm really thankful to God. We've heard of your faith, and Epaphras was faithful. He could just say that. But in each instance, he says, in Christ, of Christ. Jesus is mentioned time and time and time again. Because Jesus is going to be front and center of this letter. We're going to see that Jesus, he's the one who made the world. He's the one who rules the world. He's the one who holds the whole world together. We're going to see he's the one who bled and died and rose to reconcile the world to himself. So our hope is in Christ. But crucially, there's something in our fifth verse we haven't said yet, where that hope is located. 
Because the full realization of our hope in Christ is laid up for us in heaven. Now, of course, Jesus gives us hope in this life. We don't want to minimize that. But ultimately, the, the full reality of our hope in Christ is, for, is beyond this life. That's the thing the Christian really, truly clings to. And that's important to emphasize because the Christian life is really hard. It's really hard. And I think it's hard for two big reasons. One, we are not immune to the realities of, of a fallen world. We still get the, the diagnosis that we dread. Um, people that, that we love um, still, still die. Our, our own bodies, they become frail. And our work can be, can be frustrated. All of that is still true. All the things that come with living in a fallen world. But on top of that, the Christian has this identity of an exile in the world. In the eyes of the world, we're, we're outcasts. We're seen as, as bigoted. We're seen as fundamentalist. So you kind of get it from both sides. You get the idea of living in a fallen world, and then you get the idea of living as an exile in a fallen world. And that is why Paul tells the Corinthian church elsewhere, he says, if, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If there's no resurrection and no life in eternity to look beyond to, then our hope becomes pitiful. And that's why Paul, to the Colossian church, he stresses in our fifth verse, your hope is laid up in heaven. So this is a hope that looks to eternity. Um, it looks beyond the, the way that um, I feel today. It's a hope that looks beyond um, how difficult today was for me. It gives me a different horizon. We were made... We were made to live in the presence of God, in perfect relationship with him, in a world that could be called good. That's the way it was meant to be. All the way back in the garden, think of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible. Adam and Eve, they're made before God, and they're told to be fruitful. And they're told to multiply, and they're told to fill the earth. Adam and Eve were to live fruitful lives before God, subduing the earth, honoring God as their Lord and as their King. And we all have that longing in our hearts to be in the presence of God again, in a perfect world that can be called good. Now, um, I don't have the, the privilege of, of wearing spectacles yet. I can see a number of you in the audience have got, got your glasses on. I haven't, got to that, I haven't got to that stage yet. I'm sure that will come one day. But those of you who have got glasses on, you'll know how important it is to have the right lenses fitted in those glasses. Because lenses, having the right lens, it means that we see the world rightly. We see the world the way it is. You have clear vision. And it is with eternal hope as our lens that we'll see things clearly. And that enables us to make decisions that are fruitful before the Lord, but which make absolutely no sense in the here and the now. Particularly decisions that make absolutely no sense in, in the eyes of the world, because, of course, the world doesn't see things clearly. Um, seeing the world with eternity as our horizon, thinking of heaven as our horizon, it allows us to make decisions now that the world thinks is crazy. It'll allow us to make decisions that, are, that will make us recreationally less flexible, 
economically less wealthy, socially less desirable, and decisions that will allow us to use our time and our skills and our money and our homes for some purpose beyond um, self-fulfillment and self-utility. A heavenly hope, it stretches our horizons and it helps us fix our eyes on a horizon beyond this life. When our bodies return to the dust, it won't matter um, how much money we had, uh, it won't matter how popular we were with our uh, mates, it won't matter how many games of football I managed to squeeze in at the weekend. What will matter is where my hope is fixed. And was it fixed on Jesus? Was it fixed on eternity? So knowing the future, it'll change how we see things now. It gives us the right lens for which to see the world. Our hope, it's like a vine that produces good fruit in our lives. Hope is the source of good fruit in our lives. Now in our reading, um, Paul, he gives thanks for the fruit in the Colossians' life, specifically their love towards their brother and sister in the church. If you have a look down at verses 4, it comes up again in verse 8, he specifically highlights their love. We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. And verse 8, Epaphras makes known to us your love in the Spirit. Love towards our church family. It's the natural demonstration of where our hope lies. I wonder if you've ever considered that. The way we love one another is a natural demonstration of where we set our hope. The kind of love Paul is talking about here, it has to be driven by having our hope in the right place. You cannot manufacture genuine love for the church without your hope set on Christ and eternity. Um, it would be useless uh, for me to stand here and say, uh, for the application of the sermon to be, go forth um, and just love each other more. <laughs> that, it would be useless because that would be what someone once called to me, fruit stapling. Fruit stapling. Um, imagine uh, I have an apple tree. I used, to live in a, I used to have the privilege of living in a back garden with a, an apple tree. Um, imagine I've got my apple tree here. And uh, I go to, to pick some apples one day, um, and all the fruit is bad. I'm very sad about this. I want my tree to be fruitful. I want some nice fruit on my tree. How do I solve this problem? There is one option. I think to myself, ah, I could go and buy some good apples from the shop, and I could come back, and I could get my stapler, and I could get my nice fruit, and I could just staple some apples onto my apple tree. And then I stand back, and I say, ah, my tree. It's fruitful, it looks good, excellent, problem solved. I don't think you have to be a keen gardener to work out what's, what's wrong with that solution. Consider two problems. Uh, first of all, the, the fruit that's kind of hanging there, the nice looking fruit, it's not really being fed by the tree. You leave it on there long enough, it's just gonna rot. Secondly, you've not actually fixed the health of the tree itself. So next year you're gonna have the same problem and the year after that, you're going to have the same problem again. You're not really growing apples at all. It would be no good for the application of a sermon like this to just, be say, just to say, go forth and, and love each other more. Rather, if you look down at verses 4 and 5, Paul shows us 
That love is born out of hope. He says here, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So Paul's logic is first you have your hope orientated in the right place and then that organically produces fruit in our lives, specifically the fruit of love. He says start by fixing your tree. Start by fixing your vine. No fruit stapling required. Let's think about getting our hope set in the right place. But it's worth thinking, what does hope-driven love look like? Because love it's quite, it can be quite a vague term. What are we talking about when we think about hope-driven love, love that's driven by hope? We've said that having the right lens, it changes how you see things. So hope will change how you see church. It will change how you think about church. With this kind of eternal hope vision, it's impossible to see church as a kind of social outlet, a place where I just come to meet people I sort of share an interest with. Rather, church becomes a place where you join a family, you join the household of God, and you take on all the obligations that you take on as being part of a family. A place where we support each other and we rebuke each other and we encourage each other. When we gather together like this on a Sunday, do you think of it as gathering together with your family? Do you think about the obligations that come with gathering together with your family? Hope it's going to change who we spend time with at church. Um, with this kind of vision, it's impossible to think of church as a place where I just come and hang out with my mates or with people who I just feel a bit more comfortable with. We're, always going to, we're all going to have people who we just feel more naturally drawn towards. But rather, with this vision, hope that the church becomes a place where we have a common hope and a common desire, a common destination, a common identity. Paul says elsewhere, there's, in the gospel, there is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. A common hope, it breaks down social barriers, it breaks down personal preference. Can you think of that person um, who you find it really hard to speak to, or that person you think, oh, just, that's going to be a slightly uncomfortable conversation? Don't naturally warm to that person. How does having this great vision of eternal hope, how does it change that? Hope will also change the way we participate at church. With this kind of eternal vision of hope in eternity. It's impossible to see church as a place where I just come and observe or a place where I, I come and um, consume. It becomes a place where we participate in a family. We need each other. and We need each other to serve one another. We need to encourage each other. I need that. I need to do that for you. You need to do that for me. The thing is, I think by nature we are hard wired consumers. We consume, we consume, we consume. Church is not like that, is it? Can you think of a way in which you participate in church? Can you feel a desire to do that? Can you think of ways you could do that practically? And a final consideration, hope it will change the depths of our, the depths of our relationships with this kind of vision of hope into eternity. It's impossible to think of our relationships and be satisfied when they're kind of surface level if we don't know each other particularly well. We need to get to know each other in a really practical way 
if we're going to love each other? How can I exhort or encourage you? How can you exhort or encourage me if we don't really know each other very well? Hope will drive the depths of our relationships. These are just some of the practical outworkings of what love might look like in practice. And why would we consider growing in any of these areas? Only, I think, if we see this, this church, as a part of the family of God, with an eternal destiny. We have to have that big vision of what church is and where it's heading. Everything we do here, it's, and this is true, I hope, of any, any, any church, any healthy church. Everything we do here, it's about God, God's glory, about God and God's people. So everything we do here, it's going to be about my relationship with God, my relationship with you, your relationship with God, and all for his glory. Which means that, that as, a, as a church, there's not going to be any program or, or any plan or any sort of strategy or, or serving team or rota or even a barbecue that isn't in some way for the edification and nurturing of God's people. These things are all here to help us show love for one another and to help each other to grow in our faith and to keep us striving. They're here to help us show a genuine, warm regard for one another and a a desire to see one another grow in our faith in the Lord. Have you considered why we are here this evening? Why do you go to home group? Why do you go to the church prayer meeting? These things only make any sense if we have our eyes fixed on eternity. They only make any sense if we're thinking of hope in eternity. We long for the church, um, as ourselves, our brothers and sisters, and all those out there yet who don't know the Lord, who, we, who will come to know the Lord. We long for all of them to make it to that last day, clinging to the Lord Jesus in faith. So as the writer to the Hebrew says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. That day drawing near, it's absolutely key. We do this all the more. My prayer is that like Paul, we can rejoice as we, as we think, as we think of, over our experience of church and we see all the fruit of love that we've already experienced. Many of us will have experienced that. This is a really positive start to the letter. He's giving thanks for the fruit he already sees in the Colossians' life. And I'm personally really thankful for the fruit of love that I have, me and my family have seen since um, coming to Benwell. And the really practical stuff, people driving us to, to doctors or people bringing us meals, uh, people inviting us over and showing us hospitality, um, just checking how we're doing. Really, really practical stuff, but all stuff that shows the love of Christ and shows that we have our hope set on Christ. The sort of really supernatural love for brothers and sisters in the church. I'm really grateful for that. And I hope you guys can rejoice in some way as you reflect on that. But my prayer would also be that we would keep our eyes fixed in the right place that we'd keep our vines healthy. That's so important, that we'd keep our vines healthy, keep our eyes fixed in the right place, so that the fruit of genuine Christian love will continue to be seen in the church family here. 
Uh, and I thank you so much for the ways in which we've experienced that so far. And I just pray, um, may, may it continue. Let me pray for us as we close. Lord God, I thank you so much that our hope is laid up in heaven. Lord, thank you that you promised that one day we will see you and we will dwell with you forever. Lord God, we pray, please keep us longing for that day. Please keep our eyes fixed in the right place. Thank you for the love that you have produced in this church family. And we pray, Lord, may genuine love continue to grow as we fix our eyes on Jesus and on the hope you have laid up for us in heaven. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.